so we've been talking about uh, the first freedom was the freedom for all races to worship together and that that's our church was birthed out of the abolitionist movement and then we talked about the freedom uh, for the poor, uh, to, that our socioeconomic freedoms, that the poor and the wealthy can worship together. And then we talked about the freedom of the Holy Spirit in worship. And by the way, worship this morning was fantastic. Thank you, team. That was very awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this morning, we're going to talk about the freedom for women to worship in every office of the church to, to lead. Uh, now, I want to tell you a little story about myself. Um, when I first became, when I first got to the Free Methodist Church, Lisa and I were having a Bible study on our street, and uh, people started coming to Christ. Now, we were going to a church in Rolling Hills, so the church that we had uh, been going to for years, and so we didn't mind the drive. It was like a 35-minute drive, uh, and so we didn't mind it. We'd go on Saturday night. That was their contemporary service. Uh, this is back when. Uh, you know, the church was like in those worship wars that we talked about last week. And, uh, and so we'd go, well, well, this lady comes to Christ, our neighbor across the street, and she goes and visits a church and she says, well, you go uh, check it out to make sure it's not a cult, okay? And so, um, so Lisa goes and uh, I went to our old church. She went to this church and she, she comes back and she's like, oh my goodness, this, this church is phenomenal. It's diverse. The music is incredible. Diversity was a big deal for us. It still is. Uh, but um, it was diverse. It had awesome music. And then she says, yeah, but there's this one thing. And I said, what's that? And she said, the pastor cries. Okay. And so I'm like, I'm not going to church where the pastor cries. Because uh, I'm a man. And uh, just truth time, uh, I was crying during worship this morning. So... <laughs> So I do go to a church where the pastor cries, right? <laughs> so I, we go there and we, we start to like it. So I go to my old church. I, I was working in the junior high department at that time. And I told them, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to this church closer to our house because we want to be able to bring our neighbors somewhere. And so I went to a free Methodist church. And so after a couple of weeks, the pastor took me out to lunch and asked me, like, what, what do you do? What do you want to do? Do you want to uh, lead a small group, all this? I'm like, this dude doesn't even know me. <laughs> Why is he asking me to lead a small group? I said, well, what, what are your doctrine, you know, all this stuff? We're going through all these things. And, and uh, he said, well, uh, and I told him kind of where I was coming from, and he said, well, you're, you're probably going to have a problem with us because we ordain women. And uh, <laughs> let me finish. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So I did have a problem, a big problem, because I believed that only men should be pastors. Now, don't pick up stones to kill me. Uh, uh, and, and so there are these two camps, okay? One is called complementarian. Complementarian means that uh, you have the same value but different roles. So I play a role as a man. Lisa would play a role as a, as a woman, okay? And, that, and, and so the man would be the pastor, and the woman is, is not, that's not an office. That's complementarian. It doesn't mean that the man is trying to keep women down. It doesn't mean that he's chauvinist. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just a view, and we're going to go over why um, I used to believe that. Uh, the other is egalitarian, which is, is like equal, 
So there's, there's, no, there's no difference. Uh, now, of course, we all know there's a difference, okay, right? Or our, it just science tells us that. Um, but when it comes to leadership roles, uh, men and women can ha- occupy. There, there's nothing that restricts women from being pastor. So, uh, so my pastor tells me, uh, we, we believe, we're egalitarian, and I said, oh, I said, well, c- can you give me something of why? Because 1 Timothy is really, really clear on this. And, uh, and so he goes, he goes, yeah, and he writes this thing. I write back, because I was just a jerk at the time. Uh, I write back like an eight-page response to his, his paper, okay? So I, I go through this whole thing. Well, he says, look, you can still be a part of this church. You just can't teach complementarianism is all. And I'm like, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible to teach, so fine. I, I, I was okay with that. I submit to his authority, whatever. It's his church. He's the one called by God. So, fast forward 10 years, and uh, I become a pastor here, right, 13 years ago, and um, what we have in our denomination is, uh, it's called a MEG board, Ministry and Education, Ministry of Education and Guidance, okay, and, uh, and what they do, what this board does is it checks in on the pastor. So I have an authority above me that checks in on me and can call me before the Meg. And um, so I get a phone call two weeks after I'd been a pastor. And the Meg chair says, hey, um, I heard you wrote a paper on women in ministry. And I'm like, oh, man. man. That's like going hey, I was going through your Facebook page, and I noticed, it's like, oh, man, did I post that? Oh, okay. And I, I said, and I'm before this board, and they're like, we'd like to see the paper. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know where it is. I, I can't find it. I, yeah. I said, listen, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. And so um, the Meg chair goes, we, we want to see that paper. So I find it, I sent it to him, and I said, by the way, I don't believe this anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, um, you know, so erase, erase, you know, like I, <laughs> never happened, you know. And so, um, so I've been here about two weeks, and I get a phone call from the Meg chair, and he says, we've got a problem. And I'm like, oh. I said, listen, if you want me to come before the Meg board and tell you what I believe now, like, I'm, I'm happy to do that. You want me to write another paper, like on the flip side? Like, what do you want me to do? He said, we have a problem. And I said, Tim, we'll call him Tim. His name's Tom, but uh, <laughs> we'll just call him Tim. You know what? I'll never get tired of that joke, ever, <laughs> never. So, um, so uh, I said, let me ask you, are you telling me, are you telling me that I quit my job, of 16 years, I picked up a church in Garden Grove that didn't have a pastor in it, and because of a paper I wrote 10 years ago, you can take the church away from me? And he said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. So um, I hung up the phone, and I began to cry because I had already fallen in love with everybody here, right? And... uh, and, and I said some words uh, that probably weren't befitting the office of pastor. Um, but it was over this issue. So 
I have a dog in this hunt on this topic. And it's a huge topic. And I'm going to do my best to explain why I went from complementarian to egalitarian. Okay? I want to make this clear. I was complementarian in a church that believed in egalitarianism. So you can be in this church with a complementarian view and you won't be ostracized. I was afforded that, that, uh, the love and grace of my pastor and I will afford that to you as well. So we can disagree on this topic. Um, but I think I'm right and I think the Free Methodist Church is right. Okay, and so if, if am, I, am I being clear? I just wanna make sure that we're on the same page because the social media age has just destroyed the whole idea of debate. You know, where you can have like an adult conversation anymore. Um, so you can unfriend me later. Uh, <clears throat> so when you read the Bible, you have to begin to ask yourself a bunch of questions. You read the Bible critically. Not critically like God doesn't know what he's talking about or is this really the word of God. It absolutely is. I, I, this, the Bible is the word of God. I've based my entire life upon it. It is my authority. I won't teach anything that I don't think it doesn't say and I won't, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, 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 I, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Uh, but I have to read it critically. And so what I read is, who wrote it? Who wrote what I'm reading? Who are they writing it to? Okay, so, so there are some things that are written to individuals that aren't written to churches, and there are some things that are written to churches. What's the genre of it? Is it poetry? Is it, is it apocalyptic narrative? Is it wisdom literature? Is it descriptive, prescriptive? What, what is it? And then also, here's a fancy word. This is totally free. Take it home. What's the Sitzenleben? Okay? What's the setting in life that it's, that it's in? Okay? These things are very, very important. Now, you can't just willy-nilly go all over and say, oh, that was cultural. That wasn't. This, you know, you, you, you can see how you can get into trouble with that if you're, if you're not honest with yourself and not honest with the Bible. But the Bible thinks you're smart. And, and when you read it, th the Bible thinks you can understand it, okay? And so what I want to do is get to the most famous section of Scripture that says that a woman cannot uh, teach or be an authority over a man. And I'll explain to you why I believe uh, something different than what the Bible clearly says. Does that make sense? All right. What am I reading? I'm reading a letter to an individual, Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in Ephesus, and he is, um, uh, he's struggling. Like, Paul has to write to him, hey, don't quit, okay? Like, like you've been prophesied over, you got this, you got this. Uh, and so what he's trying to do is help Timothy lead this church, and this church has got some issues in it, okay? So I'm going to read to you the beginning of Timothy, which sets the tone of the whole uh, letter. Well, we call it a book, but it's really a letter. It sets the whole tone and gives you the reason why Paul is writing this in the first place. He says this, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines. The issue of this letter is to stop teachers teaching false doctrine. Uh, 
any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies and such things that promote controversial speculation rather than, this is it, advancing God's work. This is what Paul is interested in always. This is why he's writing letters to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians, why he's writing uh, letters to Titus, to Philemon, to Timothy, to to Timothy, uh, is because he wants to advance God's work. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of advancing God's work, okay? That is the tone. And so he spells all this stuff out. We don't have time to go through all of chapter one, but he spells all this stuff out. And then he says, therefore, you know, the dumb joke, when you see therefore, you got to read back to find out what it's there for, okay, right? So um, I actually am tired of that joke, but I say it every time, so what do you know? Uh, so he says this, therefore, I want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. What do you think was happening at this church? There was false doctrine, there was angry men and disputing men. And Paul's going, in your context right now, church in Ephesus, you need, to, you need to stop that. You need to lift up holy hands without anger or dissension. We need to get order, okay? So there we go. Then he says this, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Now, really quickly, is he saying I don't want women to lift up holy hands and pray without anger and dissension? No, he's just... He's addressing what is obviously going on there. There's some wealthy women, okay, who are looking at outward appearances rather than the inward, okay? So he says this, women address modestly with decency and propriety. And you guys are so quiet. If you could see me look at you the way you're looking at me, uh, you'd run out the door screaming. Adorning, ador, adorning themselves. Not with a lot, but one lady's just like, oh, I, I, he better keep going on this because I'm going to find out. With uh, hairstyles, gold or pearls, expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for a woman, uh, who, uh, women who profess to worship God. So there's something happening in this church. There's anger and disputing. Uh, there's out, everything's about outward appearance, Okay. And then uh, my favorite verse in the Bible. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I, I quote this at home all the time. And it goes over well each time. It's just fantastic. Okay. Now, why did you all laugh at that? Because you know that's ridiculous. Because you're using your brain. And everyone who's been, ever been in a relationship, male or female, knows that... Paul can't possibly be saying that the man, the woman is subject to the man. Because we know that as it really plays out in life, that, that is not healthy. It's not a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship has what we call in Ephesians, which was the letter he actually wrote to the church, not to Timothy, but to the church Timothy was uh, um, pastoring, that we submit therefore one to another. That's what, the, that's what it says. You submit, therefore, one to another. And then he goes in on how that could look. Man, man lo lo love your wives. Lay down your life as Christ loved the church. Women, it, you know, it, it might look for you that you need to submit. Slaves, masters, boss, you know, all that kind of stuff. He kind of spells it all out. Okay. Then he says this. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Mm. 
Man, Paul. Uh, so, this is the verse. This is the verse that, that everybody runs to. And if you are complementarian, or you will only have a male pastor, or all that kind of stuff, I get it. I know you're not, you don't hate women. You're just trying to read the Bible the way you're, you're reading it. But there's some really important things as you digest this information to understand. I believe this is a letter to a pastor who's pastoring a church in a culture where, first of all, women weren't, couldn't teach any, anyway. Uh, but what happens is Christ's work on the cross set us free from the fall. This whole idea of headship, and that's all a result of the fall, right? You, 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 will, you will seek after your husband, he will lord over you. That didn't, God didn't create that. That's the fall. What the church does is brings shalom back to the way things were supposed to be in the beginning. So uh, he says, I do not, I do not permit. That sounds very strong. It's not. It's not nearly as strong as it could have been. First of all, it's Paul saying he doesn't. He's giving advice to Timothy. Secondly, he uses the present indicative. Okay, I, I know this is like... Okay, but, but this is really important because in his commands, when he says, hey, don't do that, it's imperative. The verb tense is imperative. This is present indicative. You could loosely translate it, for now, I don't want them teaching. I need them to be quiet because of the context Timothy is in. There's, there's too much disruption. There's just, for the sake, remember, of the advancement of the work of God, we're going to have to have this this way for a while. Okay? Does that make sense? So it's this, it's this present indicative. For now, I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority over man. That was the other part, is that because these women were wealthy, and we saw about the braided hair and all that kind of stuff, and because of the culture of that time, Artemis was this god that, uh, that was highly sexualized and all this kind of stuff, that um, Paul is saying, look, for right now, we, we got to get this in order. Okay? You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. No. Then he goes to creation. Now, this is, this is where you say, hi, I got you. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, if you're sitting there and you're going, wait, doesn't that say different than what you're saying? Anytime Paul goes back to creation, you have to understand why is he doing that. In Romans chapter 5, Paul goes back to creation. He never even mentions the woman. It's all Adam. Adam was the one who sinned. Adam brought sin into the world. Adam bad, Jesus good is basically uh, Romans chapter 5 uh, on a t-shirt, okay? Adam bad, Jesus good. Jesus fixes everything. Uh, okay. Oh, I should start a t-shirt business. Uh, that, that's the whole point. This is addressing something else in this church, I believe. That, that's, that's happening. Because if you take this literally, then you have to take the next verse literally. You can't dodge it. But women will be saved through childbearing. What? So for those of you who haven't had any kids, sorry, you didn't make it. Obviously it's not saying that. We're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith right? That's how we're saved. Paul is addressing something different. He's saying this outward appearance. In other words, you are first female. 
your first male. I am, fir- my, my, I am not pastor. I'm just a man, a child of God. And so he, he's referencing back again to uh, the fall, where what happened? Women began to have pain in childbirth, okay? And so he's saying we, we work through all those things. Now, what about the whole idea of women being quiet? He might have been saying that for that particular instance, but then you have to explain Corinthians. And here's what Corinthians says. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now you're going, what? So anyone who has a hat in here, you're in big trouble. But watch this. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same thing as having her head shaved. If women are, are supposed to be quiet and submissive, why are they prophesying and praying in church? And Paul doesn't even address it. And prophecy isn't just going, you know, hey, I think, uh, I think um, you know, the next president's going to be, like, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's authoritative. These are the words of God. So Paul seems to have no problem in the church of Corinth with men and women praying and prophesying. They're equal. But he goes into this wacky head-covering thing. Now, again, you gotta, you got to pick. If you're truly going to be complementarian, your wife needs to have her head covered. Because that's what it clearly says in the Bible. And you would say to me, I think that's just a cultural thing. That's exactly what I think about 1 Timothy. I think it's a cultural thing. And I think that uh, 2 Corinthians, having the head covered, that's a cultural thing as well. And I think the Bible knows we're smart enough to figure it out. Okay? And so he goes on, For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off (laughs) uh, and her head shaved, then she should cover her head. For those of you who are new to the Bible and you're like, it's confusing to me. I get it. I understand. Yes, it can be. He goes on. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. Okay, listen. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This practice is cultural. And Paul is trying to explain to this church, listen, listen, just cover your head if you need to, don't cover, you know, whatever, this is, we're we're gonna, we're not gonna let this stop advancing the work of God. Now, here's the strongest way I can say it. I believe that when we don't allow our women to enter into an office that God has called them to enter into, that we are now stifling the advancement of God's work. And so, to me, this has become a cultural thing. That when a church is complementarian, you know, in a, in a, in a big way, you, you stop the advancement of the church. Our culture is ready. <laughs> Our culture is ready to have female pastors. It doesn't stop anything. They're, they're trained. Here's the other thing I, I was thinking about while I was going through this. 
Because um, part of 1 Timothy is talking, about, he's really into teaching, 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 right? Well, you can't teach unless you're trained. And so there was no training for these women. So they really had no business teaching. And when he goes back to the creation thing, I thought it was really interesting that Eve was deceived. And when Eve was deceived, do you know one of the things that got her? She misquoted God. She said, God said that we can't eat of the fruit, we can't even touch it, right? Okay, here's, here's, here's the big question. Who trained Eve? Adam did. God didn't talk to Eve. He talked to Adam, and then Adam was created, and he told Eve. So it was Adam's lack of being able to clearly speak the words of God that caused Eve to, he's probably just like, ah, yeah, don't even touch it. You'll die. Uh, don't worry about it. You know? I don't know. I, just, I know a lot of men, okay? So, so uh, it's like, what were his exact words? Ah, so you touch it, you die, and then, and then she touches it, and she's like, I didn't die. Oh, I, guess, I guess the second part must be incorrect too, right? Well, now we have females that are trained 10 times better than a lot of the men I know. They need to have a voice. They need to be placed in a position of authority if God is calling them to do that, okay? There are some other things of why I, I switched over um, to the dark side. Uh, it is, um, uh, you look at the, the people Paul ministered with. He ministered with, with, with women all the time. Never mentions anything about he's in control, they're submissive, uh, uh, all those things. Deborah was a judge in the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't say, and isn't that weird? <laughs> like, it just mentions her like, yeah, she, yeah, she was a judge. What's the, what, what's the big deal? If it were such a huge deal, God would have mentioned that. Jesus ministered to women. Jesus told the first person she, he, she, he told that he was the Messiah was the woman at the well. And guess what she did? She went and told everybody. Guess what she was doing when she told them? Teaching. Jesus had given her information. She got the information. He's the Messiah. And she went and taught. Now, they said, finally, they said, well, we'll go look for ourselves. You know, well, that, I, I can't be the judge of that. But, uh, but that was, the, that was the, the situation. Mary and Martha, right? They go. Mary, uh, Martha's saying to Jesus, hey, help her cl clean up. Almost, you know, she should be helping me. And Jesus says, no, no, she's at my feet. She's here with the other disciples. She's chosen really well. Galatians says there's neither male nor female. The Old Testament says, in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. I believe we're in those days. 